what you what you need to understand is what we do after we put the tube in makes the patient live or die more than anything else. It's not the act of intubation. It's the act of ventilation. Remember that. It's not the act of a BVM with a mask. It's not the act of a supraglottic airway. The only advantage of a tube is a disadvantage. It's easier to kill the patient by overventilating them. We're going to look at that in a sec. I showed you that. You were doing pretty good there because you were thinking numbers. But if I got bouncing down the road in the ambulance, and people are screaming and the Lucas is going, and, and for the cardiac arrest, you got the ITD. So, not, no, until it's red. Well, what if the patient's a head injury and got intubated? You'll kill them with your ventilation. That's what the study in Arizona showed. Okay. All right. So it does matter. And in fact, it really matters until the ED puts them on a ventilator. ED doesn't ventilate any better than you do, whether they think so or not. And if you notice, what's the first thing RT does when you bring a patient in that's intubated? Put them on a ventilator. Because ventilators have no brain, only brawn. Just remember that. And this was, again, it doesn't matter how well the airway is done. If the breathing isn't done equally or better, we will not only hurt, but we will kill the patient. Just remember that. Okay, again, we have the problem of getting people's attention about this. So we had a, a great presentation in MSP. It was supraglottic airway versus intubation. Mike Sear from Seattle, uh, Jolene, can't think of her last name, from San Diego. And they talked about good, bad. And I stood up and everyone says, we just heard Dan Spates talk before this. No disrespect, all the things you just present have no value unless we know that we ventilated properly. And they agree. agree. All these studies on, on intubation really don't mean anything unless we can show that we controlled the ventilation. Just out of curiosity, what is the supraglottic versus penetration? Pays your money, takes your choice. Supraglottic gets probably put in easier, but the endotracheal tube, if put in efficiently, has some added value, all of which is completely negated by ventilation. Just think about that. And we're not any better than anybody else, although we occasionally will use the auto vents, which unfortunately we don't use enough. Okay. All right, so doing an advanced airway is actually a downgrade. Why? Why what happens with BLS airway? with a mask. So if you squeeze that bag too hard, what happens? You could lose some around the Yeah. Seal. You increase the internal airway. It leaks out the side. I can feel it coming over my hand. So you have a safety valve. That's why a lot of talk about not intubating. We should intubate kids. We shouldn't innovate these people because they do worse. And they do worse because we don't ventilate them properly. Again, everything I teach today is nothing but a learning experience for you and has no value if you don't share it with your colleagues. And no medic who you explain this to should be anything but saying, wow, that's great. If they don't like it, talk to me. Okay? All right, so it is a downgrade. So what are the bad players in sick patients? Positive pressure ventilation, too much. Hyperventilation, which is too fast. And overventilation, which is too much. 
and they're all easier to do in the intubated patient. That's why the it means nothing. It means nothing when they look at airway studies. One is not better than the other unless we've controlled ventilation. The San Diego study on intubation was stopped because they were hurting people. Stop. And Dan Davis went back and looked at his ventilatory data and it looked like a pogo stick all over the place. And maybe when it was done right, those patients actually did a little bit better. When it was done wrong, those patients did worse. Okay. So it doesn't really matter unless we do it right. Okay, so what does positive pressure ventilation do? It increases intrathoracic pressure. When does blood come back to the heart? With increased or negative intrathoracic pressure? Increase. Right, that's what the IT does. ITD increases negative intrathoracic pressure, sucks blood back to the heart, next pump, better. Okay. Very important conceptualizations. If you squeeze the bag too hard and too fast, you have no negative intrathoracic pressure, you have only positive. Therefore, it decreases venous return, it decreases mean arterial pressure, it decreases cerebral blood flow, because negative intrathoracic pressure actually improves cerebral blood flow, and as we're going to learn in the near future, head-up CPR improves outcome, okay, once you prime the pump, and decreases coronary flow, and it worsens cerebral ischemia. So you may, bad shit happens to the patient. It's just wrong. God made the cardiovascular system, I love this quote from Dan, to work properly when air is being sucked. I'm trying to learn to abdominally breathe because I'm having an over air problem because of my gastric dysmotility. So I'm trying to learn how to make my body suck the air better, not push it better. Okay. All right, in sick patients, obviously the reverse is the case. Negative pressure dynamics messes up. Okay, ventilators, actually, the iron lung. What, do you guys know what an iron lung is? Polio. Anybody know what the polio epidemic? Who, here's, a, here's a great question for you. Who invented the bag that we use and why? Well, what, are, what were the early bags called? They're still called a lot. Give me a what bag? Bag valve. Give me a what bag? Breathing bag? No. If I said, you, what, what, what would you call that bag? A brand. Ambu. Ambu bag, because that's who the only that was who made the original bag. It was, uh, it's a Danish company who were actually very interesting. They were Jewish and they managed to sidestep Hitler. Um, it was invented because of the polio epidemic there, and they didn't have enough iron lungs. So they taught medical students how to squeeze a bag and ventilate people who had no respiratory function or limited respiratory function. <coughs> And that was the original invention of the Ambu bag. It's kind of like, uh, like Lerdahl inventing Annie, who was somewhat ideated on, on his, I see his daughter, one of the family members, of uh, Osmond Lerdahl. Uh, Stavanger, Norway. Interesting place. Anyway, um, so the, again, they were a downgrade, because they, but they were a substitute for the iron lung. Iron lung was a negative intrathoracic pressure device. They put you in a chamber, they create a negative pressure, they create a positive pressure. So you suck the air, you didn't push the air. The bag pushed the air. Am I making sense to you guys? Stop me if I'm not, okay? Um, again, an AT tube is airway protection, not for ventilation. Okay, hyperventilation. 
Scared man in a bucket is the greatest bilge pump in the world, right? A scared EMT in a bag is the most dangerous thing in the world. And if you close the system by having endotracheal intubation or esophageal, I mean an e a supraglottic airway, you only make it worse, you don't make it better. So it leads to stacking, because there's no time for exhalation. Shh, 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 shh. What do you do if, if you see stacking and end tidal? You disconnect the whole system and let the air expire, exhale, okay? Increased minimum ventilation, which is hypocarbia. You blow off all the CO2. You get cerebral vasoconstriction, right? And that is bad. In fact, in critically injured patients, it kills them. There's your differential and endothoracic pressure. Um, again, mean endothoracic pressures in cardiac arrest, coronary perfusion pressures, survival, directly related to slowing the ventilatory rate. So Tom Ofterheide wrote a paper, he's a colleague of mine from, from Wisconsin. It was called Death by Ventilation. Death by Ventilation. And they studied the ventilatory rates of patients in cardiac arrest. And guess what? Sometimes the CPR and the ventilatory rates were identical. Do you think that's a good thing? No, it's a bad thing, it kills patients. So death by ventilation, remember that. You are gonna be responsible for that and survival is directly related to slowing the ventilatory rate down, way down, 10 to 12 a minute. Again, cerebral blood flow, drop the CO2, drop the cerebral blood flow. <clears throat> Again, in shock models, comparing the thing. Ventilatory rates of six, ventilatory rates of 12, and greater. You see the rate of six, these patients do better, even than 12, if we take our time with it. I'm gonna throw these kind of quick. So, in head injury, it's even worse, because what happens in head injury? You've got swelling of the brain, you've got all kinds of, of traumatic issues, and then what do we do? We hyperventilate them. So we reduce cerebral blood flow. We reduce cerebral blood flow. Is that good? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think we ever want to see that. But that's what happened. And that's what they actually studied in Arizona. You know, it, it really is even worse because it, we don't know, we don't realize what's really actually going on. In fact, there was every study on airway has studied the A, the airway, and none of them studied the B, the breathing, right? We did the GlideScope study comparing GlideScope and uh, standard laryngoscope intubation. Did we study ventilatory rate? Well, we actually did because one of the arguments was the comparative and we tried to use our timer for intubation as also a timer for ventilation. And then we went to ventilators for the last part of the study. So we really knew we were doing it right. And we, we showed the differential. But the point was, at the time, did we really understand how important what we were doing with timing? And the answer is, probably not. Probably not, okay? Again, um, we are make these naive assumptions that the A is what's important. And then we get, you know, you get the tube in and what happens? Everybody gets high five, Betty. You know, right? Give me a high five. I can slip that thing in in 23 seconds. Okay, you can see it on the... And then you hand, the, hand it to the bag and the next person goes... Right? You need to turn to that person if we don't have the time. You count to six, and I want to hear you counting that before you squeeze that bag again. Or you squeeze the bag, you get out of the ambulance, you walk around, you come back in and squeeze the bag again. 
Two fingers is ventilation. Two fingers. That's it. Not, I don't want to see 800 cc's. Okay? Your, your, your tidal volume should be three to 400. Half a bag. At the most, at the most. Again, measure, put this on a test lung. Put this on a test lung, a closed airway, and you do this. That's probably about 300 cc's, 400 cc's. You do this, it's probably six, 700 cc's. Plus, you're going to overpressure. Fortunately, the manometer on here to help us. The new, our, our new bags are actually the kind of gray, clearish bag. Same concept. And they actually have a control valve on it, too. All that we're adding is the timing light. Stop me if there's questions as we go along. But what you see is you make these people hypoxic because you drop the entitled and you drop cerebral blood flow. All right. So, again, randomizing A to supercotic, to bag, to mask, really doesn't mean anything. Because, again, looking at the entitled CO2, intubated, non-intubated, really what are we studying there? Are we studying A, the airway? Or what are we really studying is B or V, the ventilation, the breathing. And that's been, that is so simple to understand and so poorly understood. You get my point differential there? So the RSI tribal in San Diego was stopped. They were killing people with the innovation. But the problem is they weren't randomizing the BVM versus ETI. They were randomizing to hypocapnia versus eucapnia which means no matter what you did, it was wrong. You know, the reason that the bag was better is because it was high, high to give hyper, hypocapnia because it's higher to ventilate, overventilate with the bag because the air leaks out. Air leaks out. Interesting concept. Had any of you ever thought of that before today? Probably not. Probably not. You did, yeah. What's I'm sorry. Eucapnia means normal CO2. What you ought to have, 35, 45, you're keeping it controlled. Not too low, not too high. All right? All right. So the in increased mortality with endotracheal intubation was really not because of A, airway. It was because of B, the breathing. So, again, you can't study the airway without having controlled ventilation. And the problem is exactly what the literature has done. It studied the A without even considering the B. Is that simple? Yeah. Is that stupid on our parts to have not thought about it? Absolutely. Again, overventilation, high tidal volume, high airway pressure. What do you do if you squeeze that bag too hard? Not only do you give too much, but you can pop alveoli. Remember, you've, especially when you've got a tube in there. So why do these people have COPD, other disease? Always look at a patient that's crashing after they got intubated. There's three things that are wrong. You've either put in too much volume, you've put it in too fast, or you've created a pneumothorax because you popped a, a, a blab. Think about those. You kill patients when you ventilate patients. You kill patients when you overventilate patients because that's the tendency to do. Again, scared man in a bucket, scared man in a bag. Push hard, push fast. Maybe in CPR, but not in ventilation, okay? And again, it's, there's something called lung protective ventilation. Low volume, low pressure. In EMS, we do high volume, high pressure. 
Wrong. The worst thing ever invented was the big bag. That's why we got rid of them. Okay? Again, I would challenge you all. Do we have any standard size bags in here? Yeah. Big, yeah. Give me one of those for a sec. Uh, oh, Jesus. I gotta, get, I gotta keep moving along here, but I will. Because I have another meeting. All right. Yeah. So, that's all right. I don't. That's good enough. See it? The difference? How much is that? How much is that? Much more with this one. And when you're scared, pretty limits you a little bit here. Okay? Again, that's why we, we don't even have those anymore. Yeah. Have you found that, uh, that overventilation with the volume is due to people having trouble seeing chest rise until they see a higher I, it's, it, Give me any reason, and that's a reason. It's all the above. Yeah. And you don't care to have to see. In fact, I don't want to see too much chest rise. Because mm -hmm. if I see a lot of chest rise, I got too much. Mm -hmm. Okay? Look at your buddy here breathing. Do you see much chest rise? No. He's only a little bit dead. Not mostly dead. Okay. Do, you, do I make the point? Is it clear? Okay. Again, again, we just hemorrhagic shock. I'm going to move through this part. Shock lung is really not shock lung. Shock lung is a self-created environment in which we've got too much pressure and too much volume. ARDS. You know what ARDS is? Acute respiratory distress syndrome. It is a nearly doubling of mortality when it occurs no matter it's cardiac arrest, trauma, head injury, or sepsis. Any and all of the above, it is, it is the universal common pathway to death. And most of the time, it's from overventilation. Again, we looked at all these different ventilatory things, and if you don't give low tidal volume and low pressure, they do worse. Okay? Again, back to the paradox. Intubation and hyperventilation is the death knell. Intubation and controlled ventilation is probably going to be good for the patient. Is that something where you... Is that a phone? Or? Okay. I'm not going to worry about it then. It's not mine. Um, okay. So it's paradoxical that we do great jobs of putting the airway in and such a terrible job of ventilating the patient. You watch on the next code. You watch, fortunately they have the ITD to give a light. You watch on the next head injury or respiratory failure. Intubate, but don't overventilate. Again, looking at end title. Good, 40, about right. Too fast, too long, which means we go shh. Okay? Again, and too much. Too high of a volume. All right. So we're going to actually look, we did, we did, so there's a lab that goes with this. So I'll, some, another day I'll come back and we'll do the case studies. So I want to talk about something called looking at the whole issue together. Hyper overventilation, increased endothoracic pressure, PaCO2, pulmonary inflammation. Look at all the bad things that happen that you caused. You, 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 and you caused because you put a bag in somebody's hand or you put the bag in your hand. Okay? High fives on the tube, 
death knell on the bag. That's why a ventilator is so good. We don't have enough and we don't use it enough. We, we're going to have to think that through. But these are the bad things that occur. Um, so a couple of axioms to finish up. One, no one can probably ventilate manually without adjuncts. Adjuncts, pressure, timing light. Pressure, timing light. No one can probably manually ventilate without ventilatory adjuncts. Timing light, pressure gauge. Small bag. No one could probably ventilate without mandatory adjuncts. There you go. Typical rates, 24 to 40 a minute. I will bet you, if you watch the next EMT squeezing that bag, they're at least 20 until we control them. The ITD, only squeeze when the light goes on. You got to switch the little light on. A lot of times people forget that. With the noon light, you'll have to pull the little tab. Okay? Not rocket science. If you can't do that, you probably should find a way because you won't be able to hook up a fire hose the next time you have to fight a fire. Okay? All right. So, and then 100% of the care is provided because of a neuropsychiatric disorder. IVI. Inadvertent ventilatory inattentiveness. Remember you were squeezing that bag and I started talking to you and get you off and you lost track of your numbers? Inadvertent ventilatory inter intervention. Okay. Why do we have it? Because we're too busy saving the patient's life and too proud of getting the two. Again, we forget that it's little a and big B. You will make the difference if patients live or die, if they do well or poorly, if you remember what you learned today. And we'll talk more about this down the road because I am on a new crusade to get us better at that. The first crusade was to get rid of the big bags. The second crusade was to put manometers. The third crusade is to put timing lights. And the fourth crusade is actually to use it. Okay? You ask anesthesia how fast they bag a patient. They bag them because they put them on a ventilator. Okay. Questions? Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm hiding behind a monitor. Yeah, that's right. Um, what parameters would you set on the ventilators? I know that we have... Uh, usually you want four cc's per kilo. You're going to guess a little bit. Four cc's per, per kilo. Per kilo for, for, for tidal volume. So an average person is going to be three to four hundred in a, in a rate of, of ten a minute. And you peds, you can double that to twenty a minute. I thought they had problems. you guys see... Uh, auto vents? Auto vent in the storage area. We should look at, at those. Will we get training on? Yes. 50% or 100% oxygen? If somebody has a SAT of 95 or greater, you can ventilate them on room air. Just remember that. Hmm. Babies, newborns, never should get ventilated on oxygen if you have an option. Maybe blow by in a kid that's got potentially a shunt or something you know, bad going on in a newborn. Otherwise, again, read our protocol. Our protocol says... If your SATs are greater than 95, you don't need oxygen. Oxygen is bad. B-A-D, big letters for a patient having myocardial ischemia if their SAT is greater than 95. You create oxygen-free radicals because you have ischemic tissue. Oxygen-free radicals create all kinds of things. I was a free radical in the 60s. Okay. This is not the same kind of radical. This is the kind of unpaired electron that creates problems. 
in tissue. Just remember that. Same with strokes too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, the classic history is we give lots of oxygen. <laughs> Read Whatcom County protocols. We were in the first in the state to say no, no, no to oxygen. So would you say that the larger bags have no more place in our practice? That's right. Okay. Anybody who's still using them, need to get rid of them. I've told the county. Out. Yeah, or thrown out. Just don't buy any more. No. The only bag you're allowed to buy now by Whatcom County Protocol is the Mercury Medical version of this bag. We paid $13, I think, for it with the manometer. We'll pay, I think, $14 with the timing light. And they promised us they'd recycle and bring give us timing lights for all the... It's really simple. You just pull... No, well, I don't care what brand. Ambu makes a small one, too. But you got to get... We, we got to deal with Mercury, and the price was good. The fancy one that Dan shows in his talk is $34. The one we have is $13. Works just as well. Dr. Wayne, if you had to say, though, that for someone who's intubated post-code or during a code, you're still, we're still 100% O2 to those bags. Yeah, to get going yeah. until we have ROSC. Gotcha. You know, when you have ROSC, you know, and then you'll figure it out. Yeah. But I'm, I'm talking about something you can actually get a pulse ox on. Okay. You don't usually get a pulse ox on something to code. If you do, then probably they don't need it. Okay. Any other questions? Right on time. Well, right on time. Okay.